Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today, my friend Hero Boga is back for what I think is our best conversation. And I know you've been loving the shows I've been doing with her. Today, we're talking about how does change really happen? How do you affect change? What are the myths? What's the truth? What do we value? We talk about the promised land. And we talk about our connection to everything. So I'm so excited for you to have this opportunity to listen to my conversation with Hero. And I will circle back with you afterwards. Thanks so much for listening. Hero Boga. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Hi, Corinne. How are you? I am doing fantastic now, so thank you. Mm-hmm. So today mm. we're going to talk about how do you affect change? And you've been thinking about this for quite some time, so I'd like to hand it over to you about your thoughts about change, like what we've been told how change is supposed to occur and where what you think about it. Hmm. Um, I have been thinking about it for a very long time. I mean, I, I've been, you know, creating transformational programs for oh, close to 40 years now. I've been um, immersed in, in, it seems like, an ongoing project of 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 evolution in my own life and I've certainly seen it in the lives of my clients and my students and my kids and now my granddaughter and the world around me and you know I grew up in India and there there was a very clear kind of message in spiritual circles well everything in India is a spiritual circle isn't it? it's not separate from everyday life in a sense but but all of the stories all of the um, um, sort of all the all the cultural understanding about how you create change in the world um, was based on this story that you first transform your inner world, you transform your own consciousness, you raise your own consciousness, you gain enlightenment, and then you go out and you. Um, offer the fruits of that enlightenment, the fruits of what you've learned uh, to the world around you. And, you know, there's some, there's some truth to it as there is to any, any myth, right? To any, um, any long-lasting story. Um, certainly this was the story of the Buddha. He, you know, was a prince and lived um, a very sheltered royal life and uh, encountered old age and decay and death and then went off on this long quest where he practically starved himself to death and, you know, did all these ascetic practices 
uh, determined to gain enlightenment. And when he finally gained enlightenment, he came out and he began the second half of his life, which was all about teaching and establishing the Dharma. So there is that notion of change as being sequential, that you change yourself first and then you go out into the world and you change the world from this state of altered consciousness or greater consciousness. But my own experience has been that that is seldom how change happens. It doesn't happen in these neatly segregated little packets. Um, The fact is that everything within me is part of a larger ecology. So my inner ecology contains not just, you know, my body and my feelings and my thoughts and my soul, but it also contains the entire history of humanity. It contains the history of women um, in, in, on this planet because I'm a woman. Uh, it contains the history of not just my ancestors, but of the ancestors of the human species. It also contains the the um, the essence of everything that I partake of. You know, like my my body would not exist without the air that I breathe. So it contains all of the truth of 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 air and movements of air and how air uh, circulates and supports life on this planet, which then, you know, connects me to the plants and the trees and the vegetation on this planet because it contributes to the quality of the air. So nothing is separate from anything else. I, if I, if I start thinking in terms of I am going to change myself and then I will come out and change the world, I am creating a separation or a division that actually doesn't exist. And in attempting to do that, there's an enormous amount of energy that then goes into trying to separate those two things. You know, when I was younger, when I was in my sort of late teens and early 20s, I did a lot of that, you know, months of sitting meditation um, silently in a hut by myself having one meal a day and 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 experiencing these um movements of my consciousness through different layers of reality uh and through different dimensions of reality but you know I remember this really clearly I'd gone on a 3 month meditation retreat I got on a train straight from the retreat. So everything got very still and very crystal clear and very silent because I hadn't spoken to anybody for three months. And then I got on this train, got to Bombay, took a flight from Bombay to JFK, and all of a sudden I was in JFK airport with tons of noise and bright lights and people everywhere and huge signs saying, do this and don't do that and do not walk here and do not leave your bag there. And everything in me just shut right down. And it was at that point that I decided this is not, this is not a viable way of living in this world. And it's not a viable way of creating transformation. 
that transformation happens and has to happen in the world and it has to happen as a process that is reciprocal, that the world acts on me, I act on myself, I act on the world, the world acts on itself. So there's a, there's a reciprocal flow that happens and through that reciprocal flow, we create greater coherency, greater integration, greater belonging, and greater wholeness. So to me, this notion that, you know, that we create change in this sort of step-by-step, very neatly articulated way just isn't true. You know, it isn't true in any realm of life. I mean, I am a writer, and I have worked with writers for many, many years, and um, um, everybody has their own process of writing. The way that, that you create and create, creating anything is creating change because you cannot create and maintain the status quo. The nature of creativity is to be at the frontier of change and to be uh, an instigator of change and a container for change, all these different things. Uh, but the way that you create is unique to you. And each, you know, it, we do each other a disservice when we kind of lay out these templates for, you know, first you, first you do this and then you do that and then you do that. And there's this little string of sequences, you know, you write every day or you, you know, you show up at your desk every day or you write in this way or you have these rituals. But we're always in the midst of change. You know, everything changes within us and around us. And so we have to find in ourselves that balance between the stable structures that can hold change, that can make it safe enough for us to change, and the fluidity and fire that generates change, right? Um, Corinne, you were talking about, you know, uh, a situation recently where, where you, you stood up for yourself in a way that you had not before and you were very clear about what it is that that you had to say and you said it and you experienced the shift in the dynamic between you and the situation that you were in, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, just, just that example, I mean, we have examples of that every day, but that example is an example of reciprocal change. It is that, you know, you... Um, you are in a situation, things kind of flow along, you have certain kinds of responses that you are used to, um, certain ways that you're used to responding to situations in your life or to relationships in your life. Um, and then gradually that situation works upon you until you reach and, and you change internally as a result of the pressures that it exerts. And you reach a point where you say, uh-uh, this is no longer a situation that I can be in. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, this happens with my clients every day, right? I cannot be in this situation any longer. And that situation needs to change. And I need to change. Well, there has been a change in you 
as a result of the pressure that that situation exerted upon you, where you are now not the person who is willing to go along with it. And then you speak up, you act, you change your relationship with it. You might walk away from it. You might confront it. You might have a dialogue with it. Whatever actions you take, you are acting to change the dynamic between you and that situation or the relationship between you and that situation. Uh, And in taking that action, you are changed Mm -hmm. so that the next time that you encounter a similar situation or a similar person or a similar dynamic, you will recognize it much faster and you might choose not to engage with it at all. Or you might choose to move closer into it to effect change if it's an organization, for example, or a political system. Uh, You might move closer into it to effect change from the inside. You might make other choices than you would have made if you hadn't taken that first step. So the situation is changed by your action. You are changed by the the way that that situation acts upon you. And we're in that reciprocal flow of dynamic change every day. You know, sometimes it's more dramatic and sometimes it's less so. But every day we are constantly responding to our environment and not just the environment around us, you know. Things that are happening, I mean, this bombing that happened in Manchester just yesterday or the day before, um, that those, it, it generates waves of emotional energy that move around the planet and we all experience it. You know, even if you don't know what actually happened, you experience that energy and it acts on you, even if it acts on you just to the extent that you find yourself restless and not able to sleep at night and don't know why. So we're constantly, our behavior is constantly being modulated by our ecology and our ecology is constantly being shaped by ourselves, by our consciousness and our behavior and our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. So I want to share a bit um, to put a little context to what you're saying because it rings so true about change is not systematic, right? We, we tend to think, oh, level one, level two, level three. It's just the straight linear line. And um, so I've obviously done a lot of personal development work and I've personally been evolving and recently I shared with Hero a situation where I, I used my voice and I spoke up and um, a few times was tried to be shut down. And, and then I spoke up and I also put boundaries around it of here's what's okay and here's what's not okay. And I'd been rumbling with this, oh, I'm such a bad person. Why can't I just shut up? Why do I have to use my voice? But it was in line with my values. And, and it wasn't to beat anybody or be better than anybody. It was just something I truly believed in that some people weren't interested in hearing. And yesterday I was roaming around my house in the evening going, this is what it's like to feel brave. So to give context Mm -hmm. again, right? It's that I done a lot of work and I'm continuing to do work. I show up and I'm executing all the work that I've done But then the outside world comes back and then I have to go back in and do more work on the inside, which is what you're talking about, the reciprocity. Mm -hmm. 
And then I'm, you know, and I keep working on it and reminding myself, this is what being brave is about. This is what going in the arena with your values as your guiding light is about. And, and then this morning, as I was thinking about it some more, I went, wow, the, I think the root of it is, and why this has been such a trigger is I've had this belief, you know, that people don't like me. And here's the thing that's really interesting and why it's not linear hero is last summer, I really got to this great place where I realized that if people like me or don't like me, it really has nothing to do with me, you know? And, um, and so, but noticing how in this situation, all of a sudden that all came back. So it's that, it's that reciprocity that you're talking about. And it doesn't mean I've not, I've like lessened my evolvement as a human being. It's just another layer. And I think it's getting deeper into my maybe soul. And, mm-hmm. and I think as you're right, as I go back into situations like this, it may be easier for me to be brave. Um, it, you know, I may not have as much drama going on in my head. Cause I even realized when I was speaking up the other night that there was a voice in the back of my head. Seriously, you're going to do this. Really? Just be mm-hmm. quiet. Don't say anything. Right. It was those shame gremlins popping up. And, and I went, mm-hmm. wait a second, this is too important. I'm not a head nodder and I'm going to, I'm just going to speak my truth and never, never to attack another human being. <clears throat> Cause that, that's, that's not, you know, it's, it was really mm-hmm. asking questions. And I said, I'm a person who's willing to ask the hard questions. And I do. I mean, I've had the show for 10 and mm-hmm. a half years. I've asked a lot of questions, right? That's in my mm-hmm. forte. So I, I think that's kind of what you've been talking about. And you can tell me where I'm wrong hero of about the reciprocity and, and doing the work as you evolve yourself and then going out into the world and then the world coming back to you and then going back inside and doing your work and, and, and it's yeah. that change. It is truly that. And it's also recognizing the different parts of your change at different times and in different ways and at different paces, right? Mm-hmm. So the part of you that, Last year, you know, said, I don't really care if people like me or not. Um, that part of you grew. Mm-hmm. That part of you changed into the person who, who doesn't care whether people like you or not. You're going to say what is true for you. Mm-hmm. And then the part of you this year, a year later, when you acted on that bravery and spoke your piece and said what you needed to say, there's another part of you that went, oh my God, people don't like me and they're going to like me even less after this. Um, that part of you has now an opportunity to grow and to change as well because of the situation and because you acted in that situation. So there's all these recipro- reciprocal flows, you know, but they're not a single flow because we're not single people. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not hero, one one sort of <laughs> singular person. Mm-hmm. I am every self I've ever been and every self I will ever be, every age I've ever been, every, you know, I am, I am my parents' daughter, even though they have long left this planet. I am, you know, I am brave and strong and outspoken and I am also vulnerable and scared and timid and shut down at other times. So if, if you keep investing in a fixed self, then you misunderstand the nature of change. And then the question itself becomes um, a fraught question. You know, how do we create change? Well, 
change is a constant. So in some way, we're always in relationship to change because there's no aspect of us that is not being changed moment by moment. Even on a cellular level, our cells are constantly changing, you know? So if you, if you start, once you start to understand that change is the nature of reality, then you can be in relationship with change um, in a way that is much more nuanced and much less resistant, more fluid and less rigid. But also you start to understand what it takes for you to effect change. And that's going to change again from time, you know, depending on your circumstances. But that the, the principles of change are that you need to create enough safety to be able to change. So last year you created enough safety in yourself by saying, I don't care if people like me or not. You created enough safety to create the change where you showed up this this year and spoke your piece and asked the hard questions. And there are parts of you that then come up and go, oh my God, and go back to an earlier, what you think of as an earlier mm-hmm. time. But they're not really an earlier time. It's just for that part of you, that is still a huge change to make, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's, a much, it's a much more complex um, question than its simplicity implies. Well, and, and to clarify, it wasn't. It's not that I didn't care, because it was just that I realized that if people like me and don't like me, it really doesn't have much to do with me. What I started mm-hmm. to see is the people that liked me, I validated their values or their beliefs, and the people that didn't like me, it was something else. And and that was a really clarifying moment of. Why do we like certain people? Why do we not like certain people? And allowing me to be able to show up. And and then it was interesting of going into this arena that I went to recently of um, just being triggered a bit and having that part of me where it was, you know, and I didn't even realize it for a couple of days that, oh, Mm -hmm. it's this deep-seated belief that people don't like me. And the reality is even in this given situation, it doesn't really matter if people mm-hmm. like me or not, because that that's not what this organization is about. And, um, it, and so that's just a way, I guess I could get, make myself be small so that people could like me. But then if I did what they wanted me to do, they probably still wouldn't like me. You and know? you wouldn't like yourself. Exactly. You wouldn't like yourself. The thing is, though, you know, I want I wanted to sort of put a little caveat on this, which is that there's always going. I mean, it's 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 human to move towards love and away from judgment, right? <laughs> what so, if I go towards judge and away from love? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, you're not going to hang out with people exactly. for long who judge you, right? You're going to, you like people who like you. Exactly. That's just, I mean, that's also reciprocity, <laughs> you know. You like people who like you because people who like you, they see they see what is wonderful about you. Mm-hmm. They see that you are strong and smart and brave 
and powerful and creative and kind. And when what they see in you expands, as a, that's another piece of reciprocity. What they see in you grows. And the people who don't like you see you as pushy or bossy or loud or a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make you feel good about yourself because that's the energy that they're putting out towards you. So you don't want to be around them. And that's a human thing. And it is a very useful barometer. You know, it's not useful when it paralyzes you or it, it causes you to go against your own grain, but it is also absolutely natural. And any time that we do something that that um, brings us judgment from others, we have to take that time to treat the parts of us that really need to be loved and cherished and appreciated uh, to give them compassion and kindness and a reminder that the picture that this other person is painting of who you are is not true. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's to counteract the energy that's coming at you from the person who's judging you, right? Well, like, it, we just need to do that. I think, you know, people get into these kind of spiritual, um, I don't know, they, they imagine that being spiritual means that, that you no longer feel, um, you know, that you no longer want people to like you, but being spiritual doesn't mean not being human. I think the thing is, like, if, if somebody, the people that like the fact that I'm strong, that's something mm -hmm. that they value. And the people that don't like the fact that I'm strong, then will judge me as pushy or confrontational. Mm -hmm. um, that's because of something that's within them as well. And do you have something to say to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, that if you value relationship, then you're going to value the person who is in front of you, whether or not they agree with you, whether or not they're doing what you want them to do, right? I mean, if you've ever been a parent of a teenager, you know exactly what, this, what I'm talking about because they are at that stage where they question everything you do, where they know everything and you know nothing, and they're determined to win at all costs, but you value them enough and you value your relationship with them enough that you hold a steady space and you keep holding that out that reminder of who they really are and speaking to that at all times, even while you're you know, laying out boundaries and handling confrontation and doing all of that. So it seems to me that if you value relationship, then you come to any encounter from this place of, I value you and I value our relationship. And so however we, however we navigate this process of confrontation or conflict or whatever it is, we're doing it from a place of, 
wanting to get closer, wanting to understand each other better, wanting to to not preserve the relationship at all costs, but to recognize that we're on the same side. Whereas if what you value is winning, Mm -hmm. then every encounter becomes, I mean, you know, it becomes a contest. It becomes a competition. Um, If I, if you, if I, you know, if I listen to you, if I really hear what it is you're saying, I am going to lose my winning edge. I'm not going to win the argument because that's my construct of the world, that, that an argument is something you win or you lose rather than that it is a conversation that expands your horizons and mine and that, that gives us an opportunity to understand each other better and get closer in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So you really have to look at how you approach the world. You know, do you approach it through this lens of I value each person and each uh, situation and my relationship with each person and each situation because it's, it's that relationship is within my own ecology as well or do I value winning? Mm. You know, when I used to value winning, it was because if I won, it was going to prove my worthiness. Ah. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, as again, as I've evolved and I realize whether we agree or disagree, it's not about my worthiness. We can have different viewpoints. Um, there hasn't been the need to win in terms of like my recent situation. There wasn't a need to win um, and and be the better person or any of that. That wasn't, that wasn't part of the, my thought process at all. But at, at a different time in my life, it would have been, let me show you how poorly I was treated. And that would be a way that I would try to win, be the victim. Uh-huh. Or let me puff up really big and uh-huh. hammer you down and make uh-huh. you really small because that was a way of winning. But that uh-huh. is a disregard of exactly what you're talking about, the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, when we're younger, we kind of do the either collapse or puff up thing because we're so keenly aware of our relative powerlessness within the larger world. Um, and we're coming very much from that sense of eat or be eaten. And I suspect that as we grow in experience and wisdom, we start to see that it isn't about eat or be eaten. It is eat and feed each other and look at ways in which we can raise the quality of, of the nourishment that we offer ourselves and each other. And we can always do that better together than we can by pretending that we're doing it all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Something else I want to get to is, is this idea of the promised land, right? That, and this is part of, there's a myth out there about when you transform yourself and once you've done this work, you're going to be in this promised land. And so going back to my current circumstance, Mm -hmm. 
that, oh, well, I, Corinne has done a lot of personal development. Everything should come with ease and flow and there should be no conflict and she'll just in this promised land. And of course she can handle obstacles and never beat herself up because I understand that beating myself up and even telling myself like, you know, you're too much is not helpful. And, and there's this illusion that oh, once you've done all your work, you're going to get to lay around in the promised land and it's going to be so easy. And, mm. and I, that's a big myth that I think really can get in the way for a lot of people. And instead, it's more like the way my process has been where I can go through this obstacle and have some pity parties moments, but also be able to be reflective. And I do have the belief that this there's that beauty of the mess. There's going to be more growth that comes out of this. So it's not about just constantly, you know, like I always laugh. I go, if I had to drink blue drinks and sit on the beach all day, I'd get bored. But it's it's pretty nice to <laughs> do from time to time. get a blue tongue. <laughs> yeah, get a blue tongue. <laughs> you know, or on the days that like sometimes the promised land could be like nothing to do and I'm just a couch potato watching television, right? There's some, there's, there's those days in the year that I just really like to do that. And then after maybe say six hours of binge watching whatever I've watched, I'm done. I, I, I don't need to watch TV for a really long time. So that could be my promised land. But then I start to get this internal, okay, what, there's something I'm going to learn. There's something growth. There's connection, whatever it is. Like I'm ready for that involvement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with, with promised land. It's just who's making the promise. <laughs> Right. And how long do you want to hang in there? It's, it's again, it comes back to that notion of uh, that there's some fixed, there's some fixed identity that once you reach that, once you inhabit that identity, nothing will ever need to change. You will, you know, um, you will hang out there forever and all will be sweetness and light and bliss. Well, the reality is that there is no fixed reality. Everything is in a constant process of change. So even if you, you know, like you become a billionaire and you have, you know, people coming to feed you peeled grapes poolside and, and all of that, there's going to be that impetus in you, that creative impetus that wants adventure that wants variety that wants change that wants growth you know that that like we 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 embody all those contradictions we embody the need for safety and the need for for adventure the need for stability and the need for change the need for creation and the need for destruction like we all have that all the time I'm a Virgo, and so I get to, you know, act out my destructive impulses by raiding every piece and every of every closet in my house, and and divesting myself of anything that doesn't feel in harmony with where I am in that moment, and giving it away, you know, like it 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 it, it and it feels really good. <laughs> I get a real rush out of it, but. Fundamentally, this understanding that the nature of all experience, the nature of reality, the nature of life itself is that it has no fixed identity. Even something as stable as this chair that I'm sitting in, you know, 
I rely on it to be stable, not to fall down from under me. But at the same time, I recognize when I look at it energetically that it's not fixed. It is a series of interactive particles in certain kinds of relationship to each other. And even though the it's devolution or evolution, if you like, but it's primarily devolution, will happen very slowly over time. You know, the leather will get more worn, the the wood might slowly start to come apart, but it may take years and years and years for me to be able to actually see that process of change at work. I've been, been reading this incredible book by Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, who is um, um, a specialist in mosses. She's a biologist and she's also a an indigenous um, person. Um, so she combines her indigenous spirituality with her scientific background and she talks about mosses and how it takes hundreds and thousands of years to build uh, a moss forest. And she was, you know, she told a story about somebody a very, very rich man who wanted to create um, um, a kind of what he described as a living ecological project, and they hired her to create moss gardens in this in this place out in the middle of nowhere where he had cleared all the land and destroyed all the mosses that were naturally occurring in the area and then scouted out mosses from other, you know, forested areas on this massive acreage that he owned and tried to transplant them into into the garden that he was building. And of course they died because they are very intricately embedded in specific ecologies. And so he hired a team of precision blasters to blast out the rocks on which um, these mosses grew and then to transport the rocks over to this place and the mosses died anyway so it's it's there there's you know we have to understand as a species what we need in order to thrive and what we need is very much embedded in our environment and in our ecology and it changes, it changes as we change, it changes as we grow. And our well-being as individuals as, and as a human species is intimately tied in to the well-being of every other life form on this planet. Um, and those relationships are constantly changing, they're constantly dynamic. If they weren't, we would, the whole planet would just slowly collapse and die. You know, it's the it's the change that happens at the frontier of the differences between us that allows growth to take place. Um, and it starts with understanding the nature of change. That change is a fund as fundamental a reality on this planet. As gravity. Mm. 
That's you so know, we true. tend to think of change as optional, but it's not optional. Well, I, I just think probably when I really first really realized this was when my kids were toddlers and, you know, they're evolving so quickly, but I thought, oh, I finally mastered how they sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then they change it up or I finally mastered, you know, diapers and then they'd start wanting to be potty trained or then I thought we mastered potty training and then there'd be issues. And so what I just realized is that because I kept waiting, like this is, I'm going to be in that promised land and it'll be smooth sailing. And now I have teenagers and there's other areas of change and watching, you know, my daughter who is finishing her junior in high school and where she was two years ago and how much she's still changing. And I just have to realize that, as you've said, change is a fundamental reality instead of thinking And I let go of this a long time ago when my kids were little, instead of thinking Uh things shouldn't change because my kids wanted to evolve. They wanted to learn how to stand up. They wanted to learn how to walk. They, it was, it was that inner being in them saying, Ooh, let's go explore this. Uh Uh And, and I know as I get, I'm better now, but when I was the queen of certainty, I didn't want change because I was afraid of it. And I didn't have the confidence in myself that I can evolve and it will all be fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I find for me, I have to keep, and I I know I've been sort of harping on this a little bit, but I have to keep balancing the reality of change with really honoring, respecting, and creating structures for those aspects of me that need stability and safety in order to make change mm-hmm. and to live with so much change, mm-hmm. you know? Well, we live in a society, in a culture that where change is endemic and too much change. It, it's, not, it's not the change that, that is organic to life. This is accelerated change through technology, for example. Um, and too much change is detrimental to our well-being. So it's always finding that, you know, balancing those contradictory impulses and needs within us um, to be in an honorable, compassionate relationship with change and with every aspect of ourselves and to create those structures of stability within which change can happen without disintegrating the organism itself, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're changing the climate change, like we're changing the climate on this planet uh, at a rate that is going to kill us all uh-huh. and kill every species on this planet along with us. And we have to take responsibility for ourselves as generators of change, that we have to take responsibility for the, for the effects of the changes that we generate, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you honor the structures that create safety for you as you go through change? Um, well, different things in different ways, you know? It depends on what, what the nature, where, where I'm at and what the nature of the change is. So, for example... 
Let me just think about this for a moment. I'll give you uh, an example. Okay, so for example, you know, I've talked about this with you before where there was a period of you know, two or three years where I was very ill with Lyme disease. And I, and that was not a time for me to create a lot of change. You know, it was a time for me to minimize the kinds of changes that I exposed myself to. And so after a long life of having lived in a very improvisational way, kind of dancing with change, uh, and, and being fairly fearless about it, um, I recognized, okay, if, I, if I'm going to make it through this without dying of this disease, I need to create stability and safety and, and minimize the impacts of change on myself, not trying to control the organic change that happens, but not trying to generate change either. And so for that period of time, you know, and because I had, um, because of what I had created, the structures I had created in the past, I was able to continue to teach and to, um, you know, to serve my clients, uh, but kept everything else very, very stable. I had just really simple routines. I still do. I mean, I've had really simple routines my whole life, but these became even more minimalist and stripped down. Um, I didn't have the energy or the capacity to create anything new, so I did not create any new programs. Although there were a number of things that I wanted to create, but I just had to put them in a container and say, okay, you sit here when I'm through with this period of healing, I will come back to you. And so it was honoring that relationship to my creative projects as well and saying, I'm, I don't have the capacity right now. I will come back. Um, and for, so for the rest, you know, I had a very simple routine when we went to bed very early, woke up, when I woke up, gave myself lots of time to stay in bed if I needed to because from day one day to the next, I never knew how I was going to be feeling. So there was a lot of change internally, you know, a lot of instability in my body, my physical body. Uh, but my home was, was a, a really stable, safe container for me. I had, you know, um, support systems for for my meals, for cleaning my house, and people who who I hired to do those things for me, so that I didn't have to exert any expend any energy that I did not have. So that's an extreme example. And then as I started to come out of that, and I, you know, healed from the Lyme disease and no longer have the active Lyme in my body and my body is recovered. Uh, It's still a process of recovery, but I've recovered a whole lot of my energy and my capacity. Uh, Then I created, you know, a new program. I'm creating a new ebook. So I can allow that I have the, the physical capacity to handle the power that comes with that flow of change again in my life. So it's, you know, I mean, 
even when it's not that dramatic, I find that just in order to live in a way that supports my wholeness, there are just structures that I need that are unique to me. They may be completely different for somebody else. But I need simplicity. I need a lot of quiet time. I need a lot of solitude. Um, you know, and it hasn't always been that way. I mean, I raised, you know, two boys and lived in lots, all the chaos that comes with having, you know, all that male energy around all the time. Um, I've, 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 you know, had times when my business was very, was big and had a lot of people that it employed and a lot of students that came through it. But at this stage of my life, like I just need things to be simple and clean and clear and, and to, to have, um, like I don't engage in a lot of things. I don't, I don't belong to groups. I don't, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm not on social media a whole lot. I, um, I just, I, I, I know myself and I know what structures I need in order to, to feel whole and to support my being and my capacity to um, be in relationship with myself and with my world in a way that is soul-filled and um, where I can show up as a as a source of the kinds of energy that I want in my world. And so I create those structures for my daily life that support that. And they're not, as I said, you know, they're not fixed. They change. Um, You know, periodically my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter will descend and everything is, you know, the house is filled with, with, talk and noise and laughter and mess and it makes me deliriously happy and then I'm really happy when they're gone too <laughs> so it's, it's it's just knowing yourself and not having a fixed idea of yourself it's knowing yourself well enough to pay attention to what you need and creating structures for that for what you need now knowing that who you are is evolving and changing, and so the structures that you need will evolve and change too. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that, Hero. Mm-hmm. Hero, this was such a pleasure to talk with you. It may have been our best conversation yet. So thank you so much for coming back and willing to explore these topics with me. Oh, I always love talking with you, Corinne. I always leave our conversations feeling so much fuller and feeling like um, I understand some things so much better. I love your, uh, just your clarity and your, your fearlessness. You know, I love how you open conversations, how you talk about the things that are going on in your life and then draw parallels from them to whatever it is that we're exploring together. So thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Wasn't that fantastic? 
I want to reiterate what Hero started out with, that change and transformation is not systematic. We so want that. What's step one? What's step two? What's step three? It's linear. Let's be productive. Let's be proficient. Let's be efficient, right? That can be the death of me. Like wanting to be productive and efficient. That's like kind of my cover for trying to do it perfectly, which I don't believe in perfection because that's the birthplace of shame. But then I'll hide behind it with this idea of, oh, be productive, be efficient, be systematic, check this box off, check this box off in it being linear. And I love how she talked about it made us think about it being reciprocal and the example that I used. And so really think about that in your life. And I know um, in a lot of learn to swim schools, my husband really hates the fact that it's like there's level one, level two, level three, because he goes, that's not how you learn how to swim. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. You can't just isolate one specific area and and then work on it. And there's this one skill set of like side breathing where it could take in swim schools a year to master it. And then that creates this level of frustration because the families are like, this is a year to do side breathing. Whereas if you can work on kicking and side breathing in the big arms, for those of you that are swimmers, and you're constantly working on developing, and some days the focus is going to be more on the side breathing, and some days, or it's not even days, but some parts of the practice is going to be on the kicking. And that's what she's talking about here today. And and then with my example of, well, a year ago, was very grounded in the realization of, and it wasn't that I don't care because I do care because I don't care can be a way to puff up and say, screw you. And I'm really good at puffing up. So it's not that I didn't care, but I stopped being attached to whether or not people liked me. And I realized that them liking me or not liking me really had nothing to do with liking me or not liking me really had nothing to do with me. It had to do with them. And it's like what the example that Hero gave, when somebody likes you, it feels really good and you like them, right? In the way you see the world. And if you choose to see the value in this other person, you're going to like them. If you choose to see the evil in this person, that's what you're going to see. Whatever you focus on, you're going to see. And it doesn't mean you disregard, you know, Maya Angelou says, or used to say, when people show you who they are, pay attention the first time. And it's never about vilifying people because I don't believe in that. I believe in, are we a good fit? Because the beauty of our world is we don't all have to be the same. We don't all have to, we don't have to fit in. And, but who are the people that are in your tribe? Who are the people that are in your community? Who are the people that are in your inner circle? And do you get excited about that? Do you feel safe about that? And when she talked about the honoring the structures that support her, and I love the example she gave because we can all figure out what is it that we need and realizing that we're not meant to go it alone and what what does that look like? And we have so many different arenas. Maybe you're married and that's one of your arenas. Maybe you're a parent and that's another. In your workplace, that's another. If you're a leader, that can be another. Um, If whatever, we have all the friends, that's another. 
We have, it could be your exercise community. That's another. We all have these different arenas. And when you show up, who are the people that are in those support sections? And are these people that are supporting you and loving you, like Hero said, or are they judging you? And if you're getting drawn to the people that judge you and disregarding those that love you, I invite you to explore that and take a look at that, not with judgment, but just explore it. Why are you gravitating towards that? Why aren't you gravitating towards love? So honoring the systems that support you so that you can move through change and going back to our children, right? Or my daughters, when they were little, they, they were safe. They didn't have to worry about food. They knew they were going to be taken care of. They knew there was always going to be an adult around them. And so they could go and explore. And it was just like when we used to go to the park when they were really little. And at first they were like, no, I'm going to be with you. And then it was, oh, well, I can go sit over here on the sand and I'll see you and I'll come over back. And as they got braver, they would get further and further and test that boundary more. But they had that container of safety. And I always talk about building a container of safety. And then that's where you can grow and flourish. And, and then at some point, that container may be too small and you maybe need to build a new container. And that's all okay. Because as Hero said, transformation and change is a reality. We are going to change. We are going to experience change. The world around us is going to change. Not that we want it all to change all at once because that can be overwhelming or especially if we don't have good boundaries or containers for safety. But change is inevitable. So how are you going to choose to move through it? And maybe you're sitting here right now really frustrated because you go, well, I don't even know what that container of safety would be. It could be getting enough sleep at night. It could be honoring your body with fuel that fuel foods that fuel your body, not make it tired. And the one thing that I invite you to do is find one area, whether it's sleep or food or exercise or quiet time and commit to it for about six months, (laughs) commit to it, absolutely commit to it. And then after six months, reevaluate, did that really work? Was I able to commit to it? Was I not (laughs) pay attention to that? You know, was I setting the bar way too high that I was going to fail? Pay attention. There's no need to judge yourself or the process. And then you can start to go, this is my toolbox. And you get to know yourself. You get to understand yourself. Because remember, Hero said, it's about knowing yourself and the structures you need. You may not know what those are right now, but when you commit to it, you're going to learn. You're going to cultivate it. And then finally, I invite you to give yourself permission to explore this. And it doesn't have to take a whole lot of time. It doesn't have to take away from anybody else by going to bed early or by fueling your body. It's not about taking. It's about when you take care of yourself and you have that structure, how are you able to show up for others? We are actually more valuable. And I know that's not a word that Hero likes to use about putting value on ourselves. But know yourself and the structures you need and give yourself permission to explore that. It's time to do a shout out to Strengths Mama. Thank you so much for leaving an iTunes review. Love, love, love it and appreciate it. And hey, I want to hear your thoughts about the show. So go to our Facebook page, How She Really Does It, and let's have a conversation about the show and share what you think and what you've learned from the show and maybe what are the structures that you need to be able to move through change. 
Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic day. I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.